Hey, welcome to the Faith NFM podcast. We appreciate your time today, and we encourage you to head on over to faithnfm.com where you can find the notes for this presentation, as well as links to all that's happening around Faith Assembly. Our hope is that this message helps move you forward in your faith journey. Well, good morning. Glad that you're with us. My name is Blake. Again, if you are new with us, shout out to you. If you're looking for a home church, quit your church shopping. You found it. And we just want to welcome you to the family here at Faith. Um, I want to kick off, and I want to ask you this question. Uh, how many of you like to be right? Like, come on. We all like to be right, right? Like, we like to be extremely right. We like to be so right that if anybody disagree was, disagrees with us or maybe proves us wrong, we kind of slide them into this category of adversary. Or, and in other words, maybe we make them an enemy. How many of us know, like, if you're married and your spouse kind of proves you wrong or, or proves you in a way where you don't really like and it challenges your thinking, guess what? Maybe for that hour, they become what? That enemy. How many of us married men know that's not a good thing, right? We have many times where we kind of get, uh, I guess you would say, can't get past the obstacle or can't get past maybe the prevalent enemies in our life that are right in front of us. And, and we kind of say, hey, that's my enemy. Let me just kind of maybe put some practical uh, examples in front of you. Let's talk about maybe if we're political. If you're a Republican or a Democrat, we look at someone across the aisle like, oh man, I can't believe they voted that way. Can you believe that? Or maybe you're from the traditional format when it comes to parenting or there's this uh, grace-based parenting and, and you're trying to say, well, do they really know how to parent effectively? And, and it's this comparison and you kind of go back and it's almost like uh, you parent different, so you're kind of a, an enemy or an adversary because you don't think the way I think. Or maybe it comes to sports, right? And if they root on that wrong team, like, I mean, my enemies right now are those Pittsburgh Steelers fans, right? Like, I'm just going to lay it up there. And, and you kind of like say, hey, you know, go Bengals, who day, all day, already getting ready for next fall. But we look at these people that are around us, right in front of us as our enemies and, and even the, the obstacles. And we get so kind of focused on right is what is right in front of us. And maybe it's an ex in the past. And you're like, man, I just can't stand my ex. They put me through turmoil. And, and you make them your issue. Or maybe it's a coworker. And man, that coworker, they will cheat, they will lie, they will do anything to get past you and to get to the promotion. And, and they become an enemy. Now, the truth is that maybe those are some very real things you face, but they're not the greatest enemies that we should be really thinking about. If we're honest with ourselves, if we really look at life from a 30,000-foot view, we've been in this series called The Mental Mess. First week, we talked about how we have the power to shape our minds that our mind and our thinking isn't some abstract way of thinking, isn't some cloud over here, but it's actually an ability that we have to control what we think, what we're going to consume our thoughts with, how we're going to live our life. And then the following week, last week, we talked about uh, how we need some help through our thoughts, how we can't always think perfectly, how everything isn't maybe just on mission by ourselves, but we actually need people to kind of speak some real truths to us. Today, we're going to be talking about some very real enemies that make a mental mess for us. And I got news for you. 
They're not the people in this room, okay? So turn to your person on your right or your left, or maybe you really do have an enemy, so you think in front of you, say, you're not my enemy. Come on, say it like we mean it. There we go. I know some of us, we got a little grumpy on our way into church today with our spouse. They're not your enemy, not your enemy. So Romans chapter 8 verse 5 says this, those who are dominated by sinful nature think about sinful things. I want to pause there. Sinful nature we're going to be exploring today is it's, it's part of our nature to view people as opponents, view people as our enemies. And maybe there might be some truth there and how someone treats you, but they're not the enemies in the nature that we are going to be looking at today. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. So letting the sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So today, we're going to be talking about three enemies. And to be honest, it's going to be a very quick study, a a 30,000-foot view that we could spend months on each subject and, and each enemy. But the, the truth of the matter is this. We don't want to necessarily talk about our enemies all the time. We want to talk about the power of Jesus. Because I come from that school of thinking that if we can execute our playbook, know Jesus to the depths he wants us to know him, worship him in the way he wants us to worship him, then we don't have to be fearful of the enemies that we might face in life. Understand that with me. So the enemies, here are three of them for us today. So we're going to be talking about the enemy, and then we're going to talk about the counter. The first enemy we face is the devil. The devil. You're like, hey, Pastor Blake, I know that. Yes, he's the leading villain in our life. He's the leading person, entity, piece of creation that wants to destroy your thinking and mess with your mind. In the Greek, he is known as slanderer. He's the leading villain, the architect of evil. Also known, he is known as the Satan, the evil one, the tempter, the destroyer, the deceiver, the great dragon, the ancient serpent. Notice, each, each name or each title that I just said is what Jesus you or ways Jesus used or those who follow Jesus used to describe the devil. Anytime Jesus taught or, or mentioned the devil, he referred to him as a title, not by name. And in other words, theologians thought Jesus kind of gave him a, a, a side swipe, kind of a, a jab, saying he's not even worthy to be called by name. Jesus is very real, though, about the power the devil has. It's not something that we can just look past. Three times Jesus called the devil the prince of the world. This creature, this creation is the most powerful, influential creature in this world. It's something we need to acknowledge and be very honest with ourselves about. Peter puts it this way, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and strong in your faith and remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. That's pretty intense language. 
The devil wants to kill you, wants to devour you, hates you, hates your mom, hates your grandmother, your children. Something we have to really acknowledge. That there's no, there's no really the, uh, kind of middle ground or peace when it comes to the devil. He hates us. Very real enemy in life. But C.S. Lewis, he puts it this way in the screw tape letters. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in the existence, and the other is to believe and feel excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And in other words, some of the greatest mistakes we make are saying, hey, I don't really have to worry about the devil. Jesus calls him the prince of the world. And in other words, he's very influential, very powerful. See, this is kind of wrapping our minds around it. The other way that C.S. Lewis kind of puts it is this. Many people get fascinated with the demonic realm, the, the dominion of the devil. That's why we say and we hesitate. Don't, don't explore Ouija boards, spiritual realms that are demonic. That's why if you're into the horror films that are very like demon possession, we say, pause, don't explore that. Why? Because one of the greatest fallacies we make, we give interest where interest shouldn't be warranted at. And so it's very important for us that the devil, the enemy, doesn't like us, doesn't care for us, but it's also important to know and understand the role the devil has. And let me just summarize the role of the devil briefly. So the devil created by God, but not equal to God, rebelled against God, and leads humanity against God. He is the leading cause for the tragedies in history. Jesus came to destroy his work. Easter was the mark of the beginning for the end of the devil. There's still spiritual warfare taking place. And our hope is Jesus coming back to finish what he started. I want us to understand this. The devil is a very real enemy. And we need to acknowledge the devil's power and mission. He hates us. He came to rally the troops, rally humanity against God. So how do we counter the devil? Every enemy we're going to look at, there's going to be a counter that I'm going to encourage you to explore and look at in your life. We counter the devil by addressing our spiritual formation. Address your spiritual formation. When we say address your spiritual formation, there's a leading question you need to ask yourself day in, day out, moment by moment, and that's this. Am I becoming more like Jesus? Am I becoming more like Jesus? And our first-time guest visitor gifts, shout-out to you. We give a tote bag, and inside that tote bag, we give a WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? We encourage you every day to be asking yourself, that question. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus engage in this conversation? How would Jesus uh, 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 walk and live out this truth? How would Jesus? That's why we are, are living a life that is pleasing to God by how we act and model what it means to follow Jesus. Our spiritual formation is about how do I become more like Jesus? We call this the process of sanctification. It's our faith journey. We use synonymous terms to help us say, hey, we need to be more like Jesus. 
When Jesus comes to this town and this town is radically moved by the message he presents and, and John chapter four, this whole village is turned upside down because Jesus comes and ministers and he leaves them with this command. He says this, so in John chapter four, he says, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. So, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So our counter to become, uh, or our counter against the devil, is to become more like Jesus and in the way we worship the Father. So two major aspects of our spiritual formation is this. One, worship God in spirit. When you see this term spirit, it's this relationship. God is spirit. In our innermost being, we are to worship God in our spirit, what we develop and what we build and what we cultivate in our life. Genuine worship comes from the heart. We talked about that in our very first uh, portion of this series, how our heart is our intentions, our emotions, and our thoughts. How do we Combat the devil is by focusing on how I'm living in relationship with God. The second is this when it comes worship God in truth. Reality is truth. Jesus' reality, God's established reality and truth. Now we live in a day and time where, where we hear this term, hey, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. And I'm saying, you might as well roll that thing up, crumple it up, throw that in the trash can. Because all of us can look around and say, hey, the walls are white, right? Like we can say, okay, hey, there's, there's chairs, there's people. We understand like there is a reality and there is a truth that is started by God. Understand that. I think we'd all agree with that, that when you go outside, majority of the time in Florida, you see clouds and you see a blue sky. It's truth. Now we live in a day and age where, hey, you decide your truth, I'll decide my truth, and then you walk into Target, and you got to kind of protect your kid's eyes because you're like, hey, you don't really need to see that pop-up stand. That's a little weird right there. Like, those are some things that you got to look at, and, and we have to kind of say, hey, God, what is your truth? See, Jesus has come to give us this established truth truth. God's given us this plan of established truth. Let me illustrate it this way, put it, um, relationship without truth lacks transformation. So imagine with me, you, you lost someone in your life. A dear friend from out of town comes in and, and they just show up at your house. They don't say one word to you. You kind of are like, hey, what are you doing here? Like, I know you're trying to help me in the grieving process. I get it, but they don't say one word to you. You kind of leave that moment, leave that weekend, leave that experience, and it wasn't very transformative in your life. You're like, hey, I'm glad we have a relationship, but if you're not speaking to me and there's not really truth being told, then like, what good is this relationship? On the flip side of it is this, relationship or, or truth without relationship is very cold, Right? If someone has told you the truth but doesn't have relationship with you, it can be very hard to palate, right? My wife, sometimes she comments on my outfit, and when she says good things, I'm feeling like a million bucks. When she says some very truthful things about my outfit, I get a little like, okay, like I can handle it. 
you're looking out for my best interest. But sometimes when I go out in the lobby and someone asks me, hey, Pastor Blake, so I see that outfit you got going on. I'm like, hey, I love you too, buddy. Like, glad we're hanging out here at church. And so, but it, it, it's harder to palate, right? Someone close to you tells you how to parent your kids. You're like, hey, like, okay, I'll, I'll receive that. Like, I, I'll hear that. Someone who you don't know comes and speaks some truth about your kids. You're like, dude, you ever mention my kids again, you're dead. You know, like, truth that comes out of the form of with no relationship is very hard to receive, right? So, so how do we handle and how do we navigate the devil when it comes to our, our processing and, and our thinking is we need to focus on worshiping God in spirit and in truth. That we need to live in a relationship with God and that we need to apply his truth to our lives. You go back to Genesis, you see Eve, her first mistake, she is pushed away from the relationship of Adam that she was supposed to engage in with. And what then she do? She listens to the devil's lies. She removes herself from truth. And in other words, what causes the chaos of our humanity and our history is Eve leaving relationship, Eve listening to lies. So understand that when we're called to follow Jesus, become like Jesus, it is this understanding of I need to worship God with my inner being and I need to accept his truth. So maybe you're in here today and you're like, I don't know. I don't know what it means. And maybe you're exploring to follow Jesus. I would encourage you with this. It begins with Jesus and accepting him as your Lord and leader of your life. Another enemy that we face is this. It's our flesh, our flesh. This one is one of those that we need to more so battle that I would say day in, day out than possibly the, the first enemy. I don't know if you ever heard that, that saying, the heart wants what the heart wants. Now, I was told, hey, um, you know, Pastor Blake did, you know, the orientation of that um, language, the heart wants what the heart wants, actually was popularized in the early 90s. But then someone comes up to me after service and they're like, hey, Pastor Blake, did you know that was like a Selena Gomez song? And I was like, I didn't know that because I didn't really look it up. But the point of what I'm trying to say, you've heard that saying, right? Maybe we've used it in jest. The heart wants what the heart wants. But culture all around is filled with sayings like, be true to yourself, follow your heart, just do it. Last week, we talked about how that can be really challenging and how our heart can also be the greatest deceiver in our lives. The flesh, our human nature, we are kind of started with this disadvantage in life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air. We see another name for the Satan or the devil, the slander, and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the great cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The Apostle Paul, who just wrote that, also calls this flesh our sinful passions. Peter, the Apostle, calls it our corrupt desire. That 
from a, the, the start that we have a desire that we need to be very aware of. And if we give in to our desires and we just kind of let it run rampant, we can find ourselves in quite the mess of life. I want you to note this and I want you to capture this. Our strongest desires are not our actually our deepest desires. Our strongest desires are not actually our deepest desires, okay? I want to wake us up a little bit right here, so let me just say this. How many guys in this room like sex? I like, like, I raised my hand. No other guy did in the room. Kind of awkward, you know, like, oh, I got a couple back there. Hey, thanks for joining me here. You're like, whoa, this really took a left turn. You're right. Buckle up, buttercup. Welcome to the party. So, here's the truth. God created sex. It's great. We talk about it here. The world's corrupted it, distorted it, really messed it up. Really just, I mean, made it disgusting. Let's be frank about that. So, when we talk about sex, goes, how many of us now, let's talk men, and, and I would even say ladies as well, how many of us want to have a very intimate, vulnerable relationship with someone like never before? Right? We all want to have that intimate, vulnerable relationship, right? Now, here's the difference out of all of our different relationships. See, your parents, let's just put it this way, they love you because you're their child. And if you're a parent in this room, you love your kids. Why? Because they're your kids, correct? Your spousal relationship, they're the only people that picked you. They're the only people that said, yeah, I'll, I guess I'll marry you. You know, they're the only people. My wife picked me, I picked her only relationship that I had that choice. Okay, I didn't get to pick who my kids were. I didn't get to pick who my parents were. I didn't get to pick who my sister was. There, there's, there's none of that. The person you get to pick is your spousal relationship. Now, to know your spouse in a, in a level that's so deep, so authentic, so intimate, involves sexual relationship. Okay? Now, our deepest desire to have a great, vulnerable, intimate relationship with someone we care about, someone we love tremendously, right? Deepest, that's happiness. That's what we all desire. But here's where it turns. We also have a very strong desire, sexual desire. We're sexual beings. So what happens is we let our strongest desires, what's leading in our maybe what we're longing and searching for trump our deepest desires. So maybe men, maybe ladies, maybe people in a spousal relationship, you pursue a strong desire that isn't lined up with your deepest desire. Meaning this, you engage in flirtation at work. Maybe you've stepped out on your spouse. Maybe you're looking at impure men, uh, images online. So you're letting your strongest desire corrupt and distort your deepest desires of complete vulnerability, of intimacy. That's why I say, hey, anytime you're flirting that lines of sexual intimacy outside of what God has ideally designed for you, you're messing up your deepest desire and longing of what you really truly desire in life. And you're giving in to your strongest desire. Let me put it this way. Many of us, we want that slim body. We want to have that physique that just people are like, whoo, you can tell they hit the gym, right? Like, we do want that. But then we start going down Bayshore and we see McDonald's. We're like, I got to take that right. And you go through the drive-thru. Strong desire 
is trumping our deepest desire. We have to understand that when it comes to our flesh, there's our strong desire and our deep desire. You have to work and you have to fight and you have to say, hey, I'm going to choose my deepest desire, not give in to my strongest desire or my urges in life. So here's the counter to the flesh. You have to one, crucify our desires. Crucify our desires. The most barbaric form of death that we find in history is crucifixion. You can study this back through the the Roman era, through just the demonstrative way they would execute somebody. That's the same kind of mentality you have to take on some of your fleshly components of your life. If you're struggling with watching things online, doing things like that, you got to go to the extreme of saying, hey, I'm not going to have Wi-Fi in the house. Who cares if it works? Go somewhere public. Maybe you have to go back to that flip flip phone. Or maybe you, you struggled with being addicted to alcohol and, and maybe the point of the, the hard line, the way you have to crucify some of those former addictions is you'll never go into a restaurant that serves alcohol. You have to be willing to say, hey, I'm going to crucify whatever desire that can, that can railroad, that can segue your deepest desires of what you want, of what God wants for your life. You have to be willing to do that. Crucify You have to go to that extreme. Two ways we practically do that as a church body and practices that we should engage in often, and we do it twice a year, we fast. People ask, why do you fast? Because we're teaching our body that we're not going to give in to our flesh that God has control. The Holy Spirit is going to lead us. So that's why coming up, we have seven days of fasting coming up in August. I encourage you, start prepping and praying for your heart right now. Maybe you just don't do two times a year. Maybe you do it often throughout the year. My wife and I, we often fast. And we often do another way we crucify is we confess. You know, whenever you confess, different areas of your life, different attitudes, different struggles, different problems, different issues. When you confess, you're humbling yourself to others. It's the way you crucify. No one wants to come into the situation and say, hey, I got some issues going on. I got some frustrations going on. I got some problems, some addictions, some hurts, some pain going on. No one likes to be that person that says, I got these issues. Part of the way we crucify our desires is to admit we have these issues. So maybe you're in here right now and you're saying like, I got to put on my like church garment and look good. No, this is a church where we're saying, hey, bring your issues. Let's talk about your issues because it's the way we crucify our desires so that we can live more and become like Jesus. So we see, not only are we supposed to crucify, Galatians says this in verse 24, chapter 5, says, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So that's why we talk about fasting and confessing. Another counter to the flesh is this, keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, we have to depend on the Spirit's power in our life. If you're trying to handle your flesh all by yourself, your strongest desires, you're going to be falling short quite often, stubbing your toe and being like, what in the world is going on in your life? You need that X factor. We call it the Holy Spirit in your life. Because you can't do it by yourself. There's many times in my life I look back and I say, man, I should have ended up in this situation, 
God, I'm thanking you. Your Holy Spirit led me the other way. Billy Graham, the late evangelist, he says this, the Holy Spirit illuminates the mind of people. It makes us yearn for God and takes spiritual truth and makes it understandable. Sometimes we crack open the Bible and like, we're like, we, we don't really understand it. Or God, where are you at? That's when we say, hey, you pray. You ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what God's trying to teach you, how God's trying to lead you. So the enemies that we face. First one, the devil. We counter that. Why? Through our spiritual formation. Secondly, we have our flesh. How do we handle that? We crucify our flesh often and we walk in the spirit. And our third enemy that we face is the world. The world. You're like, we face, we're, we're challenging the world? What do you mean? Like the, the mountains and the oceans? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the institutions of this world. You know that subject matter you can't really hone in on, that you can't throw a spear at, that you can't really target the who is they? You know, like people are like, hey, I heard they said this or we should do this. And you're like, where is that fact checking at? But that's what we're talking about, the world. That's our third and last enemy. First John chapter 2, verse 15 and 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If, anything, if anyone loves the world, love the Father. The love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Very real enemy we have is the world. So let's simply define what that world, what that is. The world, a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized in a culture corrupted by sin. Let me illustrate it this way because you're like, man, Pastor Blake, that was a lot of like words there and it's very heady and very out there. Let me, let me, let me just address it. You see a lot of things in culture that are kind of shifting and you're, you're like, man, that basic truth that God's given us has kind of been distorted. Uh, growing up, I don't know if uh, you've, you've ever recalled this. Anybody ever heard of Napster? Like if you're like 20 and under, you're probably like, yeah, maybe you've heard of it. But like growing up when I was in high school, there was Napster, okay? So you would load a song onto Napster. It was a streaming service and you could download free music, free DVDs. So I remember showing up and having a, a booklet or a binder full of all these CDs with Sharpie on it. That would be like, hey, it was like the greatest hits of like uh, Blink-182 or like Third Eye Blind or Chicago. Yes, there was even Hillsong, Christian albums. But, you know, there's the, this whole binder full of fake CDs that I downloaded off the internet. Everybody was doing it. It was like you would walk down the hall in high school and be like, hey, dude, you want us to trade CDs? Yeah, so I can burn yours and you can burn mine. You know, and it become this norm. It become like everyone did it. But here's the thing. That's also known as stealing, right? When you just take music, there was no subscription. It was like, you're doing this all illegal. And, and we would swap music. And I remember that one time that I was just going through and my friend's like, hey, you want this CD? I was like, nah, I probably shouldn't. And I remember my friend looking at me, we're going to church that night and he's just looking at me and like, why don't you want this free music? It became so ordinary that you didn't even know that it was really wrong. That's what the world does. 
The world makes what is wrong extremely ordinary. But you're committing a, a sin, but the world says, ah, that's not that big a deal. Like, yeah, it's cool. It's part of just, this is the norm. That's why, you know, like when we read the Bible and the Bible says something, many new people to faith are like, whoa, my worldview has been so far out here that it's really hard to relearn a worldview. That's why they say people who come to know Jesus, oftentimes 70% of those who have a relationship with Jesus, it happens before the age of 18, 70% of the time. Why? Because the worldview gets so messed up, so ingrained in someone's mind. The world has a great way to institutionalize different things in life. Institutionalize marriage. The world's a great way to institutionalize boys, girls. Girls have, the, the world has a great way to institutionalize what we see in the, the sports spectrum between female and male. Hey, let's make everything okay. Let's make everything fine. And, and it kind of just slides in. You have to be very aware of the enemy of the world. Does that line up with God's word? So what's the counter to the world? You gotta be a part of something. You gotta belong somewhere. We say the counter to the world is join God's church. Join God's church. Coming up June 4, we talk about culture course. If you're new here and haven't gone through culture course, you're looking at getting plugged in, you're looking for a home church, June 4th, immediately after our first service, 10 a.m., you make that step, get involved. We host it right back here in our corner. Take that next step. If you're exploring what it means to follow Jesus, culture course, starting point. If maybe you're new to the area, culture course, starting point. It's how you join this church. It's how you become a member. It's how you get involved in serving. It's how you join a group. We see the very first church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So why do we join the church? Because the church gives us truth versus the devil's lies. It helps us discern that. That's why we look at God's word daily, weekly. That's why we, uh, we're, we're built, our Sunday mornings are built on God's teaching. We also see when it comes in Acts 242 that they were into the apostles teaching and to fellowship you need people who are on this faith journey to walk alongside you you can't do it by yourself you need other guys you need other ladies you need friends you need families to say hey i see and i hear and i understand what you're going through you need that fellowship and to the sharing of meals you need the accountability you need people that can tell you what you need to hear in a world full of lies and deceit that mess up our mental mess, that create mental mess, mess up our thinking, and you need people to pray for you. The church, we're built on prayer. So today, I, I, we had to spend some time on the enemies because truth is, the enemy is very real. The devil's very real. Our flesh, our desires, very real. Our world, very real. And can make things sound really good that are really far from what God's word is. But our hope is simply this. We're gonna get ready to sing a song and then we're gonna have our prayer time open. Even though we have enemies, we have the greatest hero in life. His name is Jesus. How many of us are grateful for what Jesus has done? 
Maybe you're new here and you're trying to explore. And you're trying to explore what it means to follow God. Maybe you're trying to say, hey, I got some real things, real issues going on in my life. We're saying the hero is Jesus. He retrains your thinking. He gives you his Holy Spirit. He helps you rewrite your destiny. And simply by this, when you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, for your problems, for your issues, believe God raised him from the grave three days later, and believe that he's the Lord and leader of your life, that he atoned for your sins, then you will be saved, scripture says. So that's the starting point. That's the point I encourage you to to look at and evaluate. And then you make him the Lord and leader. And then every day after, you're trying to ask yourself, am I becoming more like Jesus? So I'm gonna ask everybody in this room, if you'll go ahead and stand with me. I'm gonna invite our prayer team forward. As our prayer team comes forward, maybe you're struggling in one of these areas. Maybe you feel like, man, there's something kind of demonic going on in life. Maybe you feel like you have an addiction, you have some flesh issues that you just can't get past, that your strongest desires are pulling you away from your deepest desires. Maybe you're in here right now and you're kind of kind of dipping the Kool-Aid of what the world is telling you, whatever it's going on in life. We have a prayer time that's designed to pray for designed for you. We have people that want to pray with you, people that want to help you, people that want to encourage you. But first and foremost, if you need a hero in your life, you need a new Lord and leader in your life, his name is Jesus. We want to help you meet Jesus in a very real way. Up here to my left, to your right, at our prayer, uh, with our prayer team. So before we sing, I'm going to ask us, let's pray together. And let's continue to trust God as he's delivered the hero in our lives. Lord, right now, we thank you for giving us the hero by the name of Jesus, who died on the cross for each and every one of us. There's a lot of things that can make life very messy, make life very complicated, but we know you've come to give us truth. You've come to give us a way out. You've come to minister to each and every one of us. Lord, right now I'm praying specifically for those who need to make Jesus the hero of their life. May they get from their chairs and they come forward and just pursue your son, Lord, and accept his work on the cross. Lord, I'm praying for those right now who are going through some of the challenges that the enemy has thrown their way. If it deals with the devil, if it's the flesh, their strong desires that are gripping their life. Lord, if it's the world that they've bought into, whatever is taking place in their life, Lord, we're praying that you shape their minds and their hearts, that they leave with a boldness and come in and just seek prayer and meet you in a very real way. Lord, we give you this time. Help us to respond accordingly to what was spoken this morning. Your great and holy name we say, amen. Hey, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or would like to speak to someone concerning this message, we invite you to fill out our online communication card at faithnfm.com. And if you're able, we'd love to have you with us in person on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. or on the best night of the week for Wednesday prayer at 7 p.m. We're at 7101 Bayshore Road in North Fort Myers, just two miles west of I-75 at exit 143. Thanks again for listening.